Alex Prudhomme, nice to talk to you on WGN. How are you? Great to be here, Steve. I'm doing well. How Happy often? Father's Day. Well, thank you, and the same to you. You, you, in fact, uh, there's a relationship with you and uh, Julia Child. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, Julia's husband, Paul Child, was the twin brother of my grandfather. Uh, and Paul and Julia never had kids of their own, uh, but they treated my sisters and my cousins and me like surrogate grandchildren. So I grew up with Julia, hearing all her wonderful stories about how she learned to cook in France back in the late 40s and early 50s. Um, and uh, I helped her write her memoir about that, those favorite years of her life. And it was called My Life in France, and it inspired the Julia part of Julie and Julia, the movie. Yeah, well, this is an amazing read. Uh, it's called Dinner with the President, Food Politics and History of Breaking Bread at the White House. And actually, it's not in the title, but you go back before the White House. And I learned so much in this book. It's not only about how food has made a difference in ways you would never think about. For example, you write... Ronald Reagan's jelly beans sent a message because he loved jelly beans. He said so. It sent a message to voters. I like the same food you do. So vote for me. <laughs> I yep. never thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. And you could say the same thing about uh, Trump and his burgers or Biden and his ice cream. I mean, it's a it's a very primal thing when we see somebody eating something that we like. Uh, it in the triggers the back of our brain. Um, and it tells us, well, this person must be from the same tribe as I am. Therefore, he's safe. Uh, therefore, I trust him. And uh, we're not even aware of this, but it's a very deep impulse. And um, it's fascinating to see how some politicians understand that and others do not. You go back to the evening of June 20th, 1790. That's how you begin the book. When mm -hmm. these dudes, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, arrived at a modest house on Maiden Lane in Lower Manhattan for a secret dinner, as their host, Thomas Jefferson, ushered the rivals into his drawing room. Hamilton, President George Washington's secretary, Treasury Secretary, and Madison, a shrewd Virginia congressman, could barely look at each other. Ignoring the tension, Jefferson poured each a glass of Hermitage, which apparently is a fine wine from France at the time. They settled into mouth-watering aromas, and you write exactly what they ate. So I have two questions coming out of this, uh, and it's the perfect way to introduce this book. One question is, how do you know? How ever did you know the specifics, meal after meal after meal, from way back then to very recently, President Joe Biden? How did you know what all of these folks ate, one thing, and then tell me about the point, I suppose, of the whole book, that meals have made a difference in our history? Sure. Well, uh, the specifics of what they ate is is, you know, reporting 101. You go out there and you do the research. There's, uh, particularly with the more recent presidents, there's quite a lot of documentation. Uh, the White House keeps meticulous records. Um, and I would consult people at the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian, uh, you know, just doing basic uh, research. Um, the earlier days, you know, that comes from a lot of uh, uh, academic research over the years. Um, and in terms of making a difference, I mean, there's this really interesting connection between the White House and food, because 
let's face it, the White House is the most important house in the world. Um, and it follows that the food served there is there's some of the most important meals and, and by the way, some of the most tasty meals in the world. And it's never simply a meal at the White House. It's not just about nutrition. Uh, everything that's eaten there, there's a little signal that goes out. It not only tells us about who these presidents are as human beings with their quirky tastes, uh, like Richard Nixon eating a dollop of cottage cheese every day for lunch, uh, but it also tells us about where the nation is. It's, it's sort of a mirror of, of where, what the state of the nation is. Uh, you know, the things that we used to eat, like roasted possum and turtle soup and um, <laughs> squirrel stew. These things, we just, those were considered the height of sophistication back in the day, but we don't eat that stuff any longer. And, uh, you know, we've moved on. And uh, the food and the food policies also tell us about how, uh, the nation has mechanized and industrialized, and, you know, we went through the kind of space-age foods for a while there. Gerald Ford loved to have instant coffee and, um, you know, Pop-Tarts and things like that, and he called himself the instant president because he inherited his presidency. Um, and then you come up to the modern day where you have, um, you know, Obama eating kale and arugula, and you have Trump eating uh, McBurgers, and you have Biden eating pasta and ice cream, and these are foods that would be very unfamiliar to, uh, you know, someone like George Washington. So it's a fascinating way of looking at the presidency through a culinary lens. Absolutely, and that's what you do throughout the book. So I want to know how Lyndon Johnson saved America through barbecue, which led to diplomacy, <laughs> and chili led to civil rights. We will find out all of that when we come back on WGN. Incidentally, the name of the book, Dinner with the President, and as always, 312-981-7200. You can text or you can call. It's now 2.15. Happy Father's Day. Steve Dale here on WGN. I'm not alone. I'm talking with the author of Dinner with the President, Alex Prudhomme. Alex, tell me about the father of our country. I mean, it turns out that when they entertained, it was in Philadelphia, not at the White House, as, or, or that was the play. There was no White House yet. Is is that right? That's right. Yeah, John Adams was the first president to live at the White House. George Washington picked the site and uh, helped to design the plans for it, uh, but then um, uh, he died before it was completed, and he never stepped foot in the White House, so it's too bad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a text here, 312-981-7200, wants me to retell, but no, I'm not going to do that. You're the one who ought to tell this story. So earlier before you joined us, when I was talking about the fact that you would be here, I told the story about how President Trump uh, had various dinners. He and Kennedy, you said, were the most astute at understanding breaking bread can make all sorts of difference with policy and with politics and also could make a point of things. Well, now, his Republican rival uh, has a different feel about Trump. I don't know that he has publicly told this story. Do you know the story that I'm talking about? Does it have to do with chocolate pudding? Uh, no, but I want to hear that story. I don't recall that story. Uh, no, no, this doesn't have to do with chocolate pudding. It turns out that he was allergic to one of the dishes, and uh, I'm looking for it here in the book. 
I had dog-eared the page. So, embarrassingly, I might have to get back to it. Uh, but, um, oh, my gosh. Uh, here it is right here, I hope. Yes, this is it. So it's Chris Christie I'm talking about, by the way. And uh, you write to the unknowing... Oh, Chris Christie. Sure, yeah. yeah. I was thinking uh, DeSantis. Sorry. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. okay. Tell me about that. But I'm talking <laughs> about the scallops, and I'm talking about... Uh, uh, there was one other dish. So he was lamb. Allergic, lamb. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't <laughs> like one. He was allergic to the other. Yet Trump said, here you go. Yeah. Well, you know, Donald Trump, uh, he can be a tough guy sometimes. And he has a history of using food to kind of bully people. Uh, and Chris Christie's been one of his favorite targets over the years. Um, <laughs> and uh, so their rivalry is kind of amusing to me having having researched this. Um, you know, I say that Trump is astute about using food in a political way because when he ate his burgers and tweeted about the taco bowls and the fried chicken, um, you know, a lot of people uh, recognize that as the food that they like. And so he didn't even have to say it, but it was the message was, hey, I like this food. You like this food. Vote for me. Right. But the other side of that coin was when he would um, use food uh, uh, to kind of bully people. So uh, Chris Christie was kind of uh, somewhat desperate to join Trump's administration early on, um, and Trump kind of dangled these things in front of him and never quite gave him the job that he wanted. And so he invited uh, Christie uh, to a, a very nice French restaurant here in New York uh, for dinner, and it was supposedly going to be sort of a peace talk, I think. Um, and Trump uh, said, hey, I'm going to order dinner for you. Just leave it to me. I know this restaurant. Um, and, uh, so Christie says, Oh, okay, I guess. And, uh, uh, Trump orders scallops and lamb and Christie looked at him dumbfounded because it turns out that he's allergic to scallops and he doesn't like lamb. And so the order was, you know, no mistake. <laughs> and when Christie was talking about this on a talk radio show, uh, the, the, the host said, now, that's emasculating when, when, when someone's ordering for you. And, and Christie said, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. But it kind of is. Um, and he kind of got owned by Donald Trump. And it was like, you know, one of those little moments that um, you can see the mischievousness in, in Trump's uh, order. Well, we're probably going to hear that story again on the campaign trail at some point. So how oh, yeah. did... I mean, the two of them, they're, they're looking forward to battling it out, I think. I, I guess. So how <laughs> does barbecue lead to diplomacy in Chile change civil rights? Well, now you're talking about Lyndon B. Johnson, who was yes. another kind of a crafty pol political character uh, who used food in a very intentional political way. Um, and he had a ranch uh, uh, called Stonewall Ranch in the, set to the Texas Hill Country. And he spent a lot of time out there when he was in the White House. He would fly people out. Um, and it was kind of his world. And so when he got them out there, particularly foreign diplomats uh, and, and Germans in particular, he would take them on a horseback ride around the ranch. And then he'd uh, soften them up with some beer. And then he'd give them some barbecued ribs with some pinto beans and cornbread, a little apricot pie, maybe a little more beer. And then he'd move in for the kill. He'd say, now, 
I want you to do me a favor. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was very effective because the food was so good and the diplomats were so enamored of the, the Western mystique, you know, the notion of the cowboy and being out on this ranch. And so, you know, very often Johnson would get everything he wanted from that. Well, what is it about meals or food that you think is so persuasive? I mean, during the pandemic, all of us, even though very few of us eat in the White House, all of us noted we weren't going out to restaurants. And that made a difference in all our lives. And it's interesting worldwide. You know, it doesn't matter what country you choose. Pick a country in Africa, South America, Asia. They they all have restaurants, right? It seems to be a human trait uh, to dine with others and also forever and ever, as you point out here, make deals with others, change the course of the way we look at the world even. What is it about a meal, do you think, that, well, made it possible in a sense for you to write this book? Yeah, isn't it fascinating? I love this. Um, well, basically, we're all humans. We all need to eat, um, even the presidents. Um, and it turns out that we human beings not only like to eat together, we need to eat together. Um, and the, the uh, sociologists have figured out that when you eat in a communal setting with other people around, it releases endorphins, which are the feel-good chemicals um, uh, that make you want to do this more often. And, you know, even if you disagree with other people, you just want to sit down and, as the old saying goes, break bread together. Um, and, you know, most um, societies consider the table a kind of neutral space. So uh, most famously, Louis Fourteenth of France, the Sun King, used banquets to broker uh, treaties or business deals or marriages, um, and essentially to keep his friends close and his enemies closer. Um, and uh, someone like Jackie Kennedy studied Louis the Fourteenth and emulated him, and uh, had a remarkable series of dinner parties at the White House, which greatly enhanced her president's administration. Um, and, you know, a few presidents really understood this. The, the, the Roosevelt's did. The Kennedy's certainly did. To a certain extent, the Reagan's did. Um, and, um, it, you know, my, my pet theory is that the savvy presidents and first ladies who understand the political value of food um, uh, are generally more successful than the ones who don't. And there are always exceptions to those rules. And one of them is Abe Lincoln, who was probably our best president, but he survived on coffee, cornbread, and apples, more or less, during the Civil War. Um, But, you know, you had people like Thomas Jefferson, who was very adept at using food to bring people together and to kind of bend them to his will. Uh, And uh, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, who was, I think, as the best presidential cook we've had, uh, he would have these off-the-record meetings with people from all across the country, bring them to the White House, he'd serve them these wonderful meals, and then he'd pepper them with questions. And he really used these dinners as a chance to kind of take the pulse of the nation and find out what was going on out there. Um, and so, you know, these are guys who are, are pretty sophisticated about human nature, and they understand that the table is this kind of place where you can have an off-the-record conversation, be more frank uh, than you would in the normal context. Um, and, you know, that it, it, it often leads to really good results. And, and, and the same can be said for state dinners, which are for 
for foreign dignitaries. Uh, it's a huge honor to be invited to the White House. And, and as Nancy Reagan said, you know, you can get a lot of work done at these meetings, at these dinners. And so it is a, it, it's a human trait that we'd like to sit down and break bread together. And it wasn't only Hillary Clinton. I mean, so many first ladies long, and I mean long before Hillary Clinton, really participated in all this by helping to prepare those dinners, which they knew would ultimately be business dinners. Uh, When you said presidents who really didn't care about the food so much, I thought of Lincoln only because of what you wrote in the book. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. But there's one other, and that would be Richard Nixon, who (laughs) who didn't like to eat with anyone. Yeah, he he liked to speed through his meals. Uh, You know, he didn't like, I mean, it's very odd for a politician. He didn't like other people, more or less. He he didn't like to talk with other people, especially while he was eating. He would eat a dollop of cottage cheese on a pineapple ring every day for lunch, or or sometimes he'd he'd spice it up with some ketchup, uh, which was, you know, kind of the California cuisine of the 1960s and 70s, was a healthy way of getting some protein, but it's kind of flavorless, and so to have that every day seems odd to me. Um, and he hated state dinners because he thought they took too long, and he didn't want to sit around talking to the diplomats. And, <laughs> um, and yet this same guy had a huge impact on American food. He, um, you know, he, got the, he had the first White House conference on food, um, and most notably in uh, 1972, he took a trip to Beijing, China, and opened that country up to the West. Um, This is all making me hungry. I think I'll do some carry-out in a moment. Uh, We've got to go to the newsroom, but I'll tell you, this book, we're just touching a portion of it. It's so good. Dinner with the President. Alex Prudhomme, the author. I apologize that we have to go. I thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Steve. I really enjoyed it, and have a, a great Paul Lisnick day. Um, I, I what? Uh, but I will have a great <laughs> Father's Day. I don't even know who you're talking about. News is next from the North.